running. I guarantee you, somewhere in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, Stefan Diggs is still running. He is still running somewhere. <laughs> oh, my Lord. We were going to record this podcast earlier tonight, but how in the world could I tear myself away from the end of that NFC Divisional game? Oh, unbelievable. I was just sitting there thinking when the Vikings kicked the field goal to take the lead and they had still had a minute and a half to play, I'm just, I'm, I'm going, what did you do? You, the, the Saints only had one timeout left. You run the football if you're, you think you're within field goal range. Make them take their timeout at least, and at most, knock a bunch of time off the clock. Don't give them a minute and 30 in one timeout, and, and exactly what happened was what happened. And the Saints come back. And it looks like they're going to win the game, but uh, uh, just I've been watching football for <laughs> a long time. We'll just put it that way. And that was one of the craziest, most unexpected endings ever. And uh, on my personal Facebook page, oh, those of you who are old school with me, uh, you'll get this reference. I wonder if that finally uh, will make good or make up in uh, Minnesota Vikings lore uh, what happened New Year's, what was it, New Year's Eve 1975 when Drew Pearson got away with offensive pass interference and got what ended up being termed, if you wonder where the Hail Mary pass came from, go back to the 1975 NFC Divisional Round, shockingly enough, in Minnesota at Metropolitan Stadium in the outdoors where Roger Staubach just cocked and fired on the final play of the game. And Drew Pearson, you go look at the film, you'll see he got away with a push. They ended up calling the pass. They ended up calling a flag, and I believe it was on Minnesota. Uh, and he got the touchdown, and Dallas won the game. And Minnesota, back in the 70s, they made the, the Super Bowl four times, 69 season. And then again, that was Super Bowl four. And then they made it back in Super Bowl eight, nine, and 11. And they lost all four times, and they've not been back since. So if they win in Philadelphia next week, it would be their first Super Bowl in 41 years. Uh, they would try to win their first ever, and they would, as you probably know by now, become the first team ever to quote-unquote host a Super Bowl in the sense that they'd get to play the game on their home surface. Only been their home for two years, but I was impressed tonight with how much of a uh, crowd presence uh, that Minneapolis brought. Certainly, I mean, they used to echo and thunder in the old Metrodome, uh, but they're doing a pretty doggone good job at U.S. Bank Stadium. So congratulations, Minnesota Vikings fans. If you're a New Orleans Saints fan, I am so sorry. I'm thinking of one of my friends who is one right now, and I feel bad for her, but I feel happy for my Viking friends. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier today. I, I really sincerely, sincerely, really, really, and sincerely hope uh, I don't. At this point, I don't care who wins the NFC Championship game because if Philadelphia wins it, they'll only go to the Super to the Super Bowl for the third time. They're looking for their first championship uh, with Aunt Harris of LC Bird and UVA with Minnesota. I, I'm probably going to be rooting for the Vikings to be honest with you because they haven't been in 41 years, uh, and it would be great for them to get back. And what a storyline it would be, Case Keenum. And I know Nick Foles. I get that, but uh, Case Keenum, you have to admit. Um, you know, has had a more wayward career than Foles. At least Foles had some success. Three, four years ago, he looked like a franchise quarterback. Keenum has always, you know, just kind of bounced around from place to place and never found anything, and now, boom, lightning is struck in a bottle. I got to root for Jacksonville next Sunday. 
Uh, Josh Wells, former Hanover High quarterback, turned lineman at James Madison, and now plays with Jacksonville, and he's seen significant playing time this year as they've had to shuffle the line with some injuries and issues and whatnot. And so Josh is one of the guys that has been plowing the way for Leonard Fournette, and he's one of the guys that's going to have to make sure New England doesn't pound Blake Bortles like they pounded Marcus Mariota uh, Saturday night in that dismal uh, divisional game, which, frankly, I expected. Tennessee in New England. New England on a Saturday night in the divisional round is about as solid a pick in sports as you're ever going to get. So hoping the Jacksonville defense can make some noise, and and if they're in the game in the fourth quarter, that's all they can ask for. And the NFC Finals is just going to be a dogfight. And then we'll get ready for Super Bowl 52. And that will be on February 4th. So we have our podcast tonight. We'll have a podcast next week and the following Sunday. We will take Super Bowl Sunday off because we understand that it's an unofficial national holiday and very few people are going to be, you know, I need to go get that podcast. Well, wait a minute. The game's on. So we get that. We totally get it. If we do one that weekend, we would do it earlier. But we may be out and about until late that Saturday night because there are tons of things going on. One of the craziest parts about covering high school sports this time of year, December, January, February, there's so much going on on Saturday. And then with our working arrangement with the Atlantic 10 Conference, we are at Atlantic 10's women basketball games every Sunday all the way to the championship, which, of course, is here in the Richmond Coliseum on March the 4th. Today, we were at the Robbins Center to see Richmond take on Davidson. Davidson got off to a big lead early. Richmond was stone cold from the field. They finally got things going. They were never consistent from from the outside, but they were able to finally whittle the lead down. It got down to seven at the half. Uh, They were able to uh, tie the game at least once, maybe twice, Uh, and it was a three-point game with just a few seconds left, and I forget if it was Michaela or Alex. One of them launched one from about 40 feet, and it went off the back of the rim, that close to forcing overtime. But I want to say this about the, the uh, University of Richmond women's basketball team. Stayed after at the Robbins Center to work on some things before I had an appointment elsewhere. And after it was over, they immediately after the game was done, I mean, the, 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 the ladies stayed in their uniforms, and within 10 minutes, 15 minutes most, they were on the court with probably 50 to 75 uh, young men and women, mostly ladies, And they were conducting a women's basketball clinic. They took the time to bring the fans of the next generation down and go through drills and ball skills and run around and play games. And it was just fantastic to watch. It really was. So kudos to Michael Schaefer, the head coach, and the and the Spiders for taking time to to give back to their community today. That was great. And a, a decent crowd. A decent crowd today. Would like to still see a lot more um, people support women's basketball and women's sports. But there was a, a decent crowd there today at the Robin Center. We'll be back there next Sunday. Fordham comes in, one of the top teams right now in the Atlantic 10. Dayton's still unbeaten. Duquesne is still unbeaten. And I think Fordham is still unbeaten. Um, and we'll see if that's the case when they come in a week from Sunday. That also at 2 o'clock. We'll have A-10 Women's Basketball on Twitter at the RVA Sportsnet every week all the way to the championship, which is March 4th at the Richmond Coliseum. I believe that's a noon tip on that Sunday. All right, we have a, we have a lot to talk about, fans. Uh, I want to send a shout-out and a big thank you to Matt Hatfield. I finally got to meet Will Garlic face-to-face yesterday for the first time. 
and everyone at virginiapreps.com for inviting us and allowing us to be a part of the first session of the Virginia Preps Classic on Saturday at Henrico High School. Uh, Big thanks to Rob Welch and all the gang at Henrico for their support and their hospitality as always. They're always fantastic. We had a great day. Thought we'd have a few more close games than we did. Um, The finale between Trinity Episcopal and W.T. Woodson, I know the final score was 73-60, but the game was much closer than that. Woodson actually led by one at the end of three, uh, but they just ran out of steam. And Trinity was able to, to pull away late with some free throws, although, Lord have mercy, they struggled at the free throw line uh, last evening. But Trinity gets the victory. Trinity and Collegiate on a collision course this coming Friday. And Collegiate gets a buzzer-beating shot from T. Brewer, and they stay unbeaten Saturday with a 61-59 win over St. Anne's Belfield. So Brewer and Barron and company will get their shot at Baycott and Coleman and Wade and Boyd. They have to go to Trinity. It is a game uh, at number one. They're still number one uh, coming up on Friday night. A lot of good basketball action this week, and I'm (laughs) I'm really hoping uh, that the weather people are wrong and we wake up Wednesday morning and there's not a scant of snow anywhere. Okay. Uh, there, there are some jurisdictions. I know Henrico, if you miss one more day of school here in the next like three weeks, you're going to have to have a makeup day at some point. You're going to lose something on the back end. So go ahead and go to school and get it done. And then you have your spring break and you have everything else. You don't have to worry about anything else. So we're hoping that they get, they miss, they whiff and miss and we get no snow. Uh, because Wednesday's supposed to be a very busy day for us. We're going to head up to Fairfax early. Uh, where George Mason and Richmond will have women's basketball action at 11 o'clock in the morning in Fairfax. And we're going to get back down, rest up a bit, and then head to Ashland because Wednesday night it is the game, the game, basketball edition. Randolph-Macon, Hamden-Sydney, 7 o'clock tip. And the Tigers would love nothing more in the midst of right now what's been a very disappointing season than to come to Ashland and hand the Yellow Jackets their first loss in the, in the league, in the ODAC, and ruin what would be, if it comes to pass, a battle for first place next Saturday in the ODAC when the Yellow Jackets have to make that five-hour journey down to Emory and Henry. And if, you, if you're not sure where Emory and Henry is, fans, we made the trip once because my daughter actually visited there, one of the colleges that she visited. And it took five hours to get there. Five because you are 24 miles from the Tennessee border. You're on the verge of going to Bristol, Tennessee, slash Virginia. That's a long way to go. So if you're going to go that far, you want to come back with a win. So Macon and Emory and Henry next Saturday could be for the ODAC lead if both win their midweek games. And for Randolph-Macon, that's not a given because anytime you get on the floor against the Tigers, anything can happen. Although in recent years, the Yellow Jackets have had great success against Hamden Sydney at Crenshaw Gymnasium. So that's at 7 o'clock. And, oh, we have a Game of the Week doubleheader on Tuesday night. We'll talk about that momentarily, too. First, let's get to the the new polls, top 10 boys and girls basketball polls, and they will be posted at um, rvasportsnetwork.com as well. We have a new team in our top 10 girls poll, and they are not at number 10, so we'll get to them in just a moment, falling two notches to number 10 from last week at 8. Mills Godwin, who fell in a heartbreaker, to Glenn Allen on Friday night during some rivalry night basketball action. Man, it was finally good to be out Friday night at a rivalry night, student sections, and scores coming in from around the area. Love Friday night basketball. We were at Atlee for Patrick Henry and Atlee. 
Our buddies Cameron Taylor and Noah Matthews had us covered with Lee Davis in Hanover. Uh, my buddy uh, Mike Pappas had us, uh, take, had us taken care of with uh, Freeman on Friday night. Doug Hines, big thank you to you. Uh, and Tom Nado over at Mills Godwin for updates between the Eagles and the Jags. And just a, what a win for Glenn Allen's girls to uh, get the victory over the Eagles. So the Eagles fall from 8 to 10. James River holds steady at 9 after an upset win over arch-rival Cosby. Cosby's later in the countdown. They had, they, uh, I will give you this much of a hint. They did not fall in the poll, uh, but they definitely held steady. James River beating Cosby this past week, 50-45. Best win of the year for James River by far. And they are still uh, uh, in our top ten, and they hold steady at number nine. At number eight, the newbie, we welcome Matoica. Only one loss this year. Off to a fantastic start and well-deserved into our top ten at number eight. So it's Godwin, James River, Matoica. Verina holds at number seven in spite of their loss to Highland Springs on Friday night. Now, Verina's still growing their program, and they've not gotten to Highland Springs level yet. Um, that still takes time, but Verina still continues to grow. Looking forward to seeing the girls for the first time. They'll be on our game of the week Tuesday night. Verina at Atlee, girls-boys varsity doubleheader. We'll go on the air at 6 p.m. with the girls' game first, followed by the boys at about 7.30 or so. Blue Devils at Atlee. So the uh, Verina girls hold steady at number seven. Steady at six, Monacan. Steady at five, Cosby. In spite of that loss to James River, they come back at a huge win over Franklin County on Saturday. Hopewell holds steady at four. Good weekend for Highland Springs. We talked about the win over number seven, Verina, Friday night, and then they beat Green Run at a classic at L.C. Bird on Saturday. So the young Springer still coming into form, and Paris McBride hopefully will be back in action shortly. Last we heard, it was almost time, and she'll add a tremendous dynamic and, more importantly, a lot of experience, big game experience for uh, Coach Harris and the Springers. L.C. Bird gets a nice win at home at that Classic on Saturday. They stay unbeaten, and they hold steady at two. And Trinity Episcopal was in it as well. They got a nice win on Saturday down in Chester. And the Titans are still unbeaten, and they are still number one. So top ten girls, Trinity Episcopal, L.C. Bird, Highland Springs, your top three. Hopewell, four, Cosby, five, Monacan, six, Verina, seven, Matoica in at eight, James River at nine, Mills Godwin down to ten, St. Catharines, falls out of the pole for the first time this year. Top 10 boys. There's a couple of major changes and a bit of a surprise in one position uh, in terms of what we may have talked about in the preseason. I'll explain in a moment. Highland Springs had a rough weekend. Now, they did not have the services of Nathaniel Pollard. He was out. Don't know what the injury is. Don't know how long he'll be out, but he was not available when they lost a green run by 33 at the Virginia Preps Classic on Saturday. They just seemed discombobulated and out of sorts to Highland Springs. But they've got talent. They'll be back. They'll use this to get ready because what really matters is get into the top eight, make sure you're in the region tournament, and then let it all hang out. So Highland Springs drops out of our poll this week. Who's new to our poll? The team that won Henrico Holiday Hoops two weeks ago, and in spite of, t- of a tough defeat at the hands of another top 10 team that moved up the rankings and get to them in a moment, Monacan debuts at number 10. Just ahead of them moving up one notch, Region 4B could come down to our 9 and 10 teams. Caroline 
Although Louisa wants to have something to say, even though they lost to Caroline in a, in a heartbreaker Saturday, 64-62 over at Verina. Caroline with David Ware scoring 30 in that game to hold off the Lions, and Caroline moves up one spot to nine. St. Christopher's, interesting week for them. They did lose to number one Trinity on Friday, but they have moved up one to number eight in our poll, one of three private school teams in the top ten. Hopewell, really tough loss to Meadowbrook, but Meadowbrook is a sneaky good team. Meadowbrook, after watching them at Henrico Holiday Hoops, they're the kind of team that I look at and I go, I'm in the first round in Region 5B. I am Highland Springs, and I'm the three, and let's say Meadowbrook is the six, or I'm Verina or LC Bird, and I'm the, I'm the two, and Meadowbrook somehow becomes the seven. They have enough talent to where when that team comes together and plays their best, they can hang with just about anybody, and they knock off Hopewell on Friday night. Huge win for the Monarchs. They draw closer to our top ten poll, I will tell you that. Hopewell turns around Saturday night, uses that as, as fuel to the fire, so to speak, and they knock off Petersburg without much of a problem to get back in their winning ways. So Hopewell holds steady at seven, but jumping over them to number six, up two notches with a very impressive win. On Saturday at the Virginia Preps Classic, George With the Bulldogs, very impressed with their performance over Eastern View. And uh, Class 3, we've got George, We've got three teams in our top ten in Class 3. Uh, two of them are in one region and one's in another. So they could meet somewhere down the way statewide, you know, when the survivors of A meet the survivors of B. Hopewell at 7, George With at 6. We'll get to the other th- Class 3 team in a moment. Number 5, want to congratulate Del Harris and the Collegiate Cougars. We talked about the T-Brewer buzzer beater to win on Saturday over St. Anne's Belfield. They are still undefeated, 12-0, I believe, as they get set for that Friday night encounter at Trinity Episcopal. Robbie Barron obviously has the size to deal with Armando Baycott and and, uh, Henry Coleman. Uh, He also has the ability to go outside and pop the three-pointer. I I think W.T. Woodson exposed something a little bit on Saturday night against the Titans, and that is... If you can uh, set them up into, uh, uh, you know, if you play a half-court offense and you can be patient and run it, you can make some things happen. And that's how the Cavaliers were feasting. And they, you know, a race to deficit, got the lead, lead went back and forth. They're up one at the end of three. They have all the momentum in the world. And uh, Coach Craig over at WT Woods and the Cavaliers up in Nova, one of the one of the most entertaining high school basketball coaches I've ever met, and it's so funny. He came over to us to thank us all, and of course, you know, he doesn't know I'm not associated with you know the school or whatnot. But he, you know, shook my hand and he said, "I hope I was entertaining for you." I said, "Coach, you were a lot of fun." He was he was funny. He was distinctly honest with his team. He was tough on them when he needed to be. Um, but one of the great quotes I heard in the huddle because I was on his side of the scorers table at our broadcast position. He said, you know, why are you going out to defend the three? You know, we're, and, and why are you, you know, getting out of our offense? He said, quote, we're killing them in the half-court game. And he was absolutely right. Um, but when, when they still kept going from a defensive standpoint, you know, they were, you know, they get the pass outside to, you know, to Boyd or, one, you know, one of the Lomax brothers would be in there. And, and they'd, you know, throw the ball out. And the whole world knowing they were going to turn around and dump it back in to Baycott or Coleman or, or, you know, try to find Wade on the wing and let him drive. And so why even go out and put a hand up on somebody who's not going to, you know, take a shot? 
and Trinity was finally able to, to answer and, and take care of business in the fourth quarter. But I believe that tape from last night, Saturday night, is going to be dissected by every Titan opponent between now and the end of the year. Uh, because the Cavaliers did some good things. They really did. And that was really an entertaining game to watch and a lot closer than that 73-60 final score uh, would indicate. So now Collegiate gets their shot at the Titans and a chance to try to stay unbeaten, and they hit our top five at number five, up one spot this week. Number four and number three switch positions because of what happened at Henrico on Saturday at the Virginia Preps Classic. Falling one to number four, L.C. Bird, who simply ran into a better, more athletic team and a team on a mission. First thing I heard, out, and I don't know if it was the head coach or an assistant, but one of the coaches for Lake Taylor, when they first came out after the game before them had completed and they were just starting the... Um, their warm-ups. He said, you know, we should have beat Henrico two years ago, and he said something about the officials, which I didn't care for, but, uh, you know, he said, you know, we're, we're coming to play, and and I fully believe that Lake Taylor, at least their coaching staff, and maybe the seniors who were sophomores two years ago, came in with some fuel remembering the very disappointing loss to, to uh, Damani Buckingham and Henrico over at J.R. Tucker in the same classic two years ago, a game they could have won and did not. And so Lake Taylor comes in and just a phenomenal performance. Darian Sebron, 29 points, but the, the player of the game, Jalen Jordan, breaking the single, the single game record for most points in a game at the Virginia Preps Classic. The old record was 31, set in 2013. He has the new record at 38. We wondered and pondered in the fourth quarter on our Game of the Week broadcast if Sebron had scored five points in the fourth quarter he would have broken the old record too. And he would have been Sammy Sosa to Jalen Jordan's Mark McGuire, you know, circa, circa 1998's home run race. But he ended up with 29, just a bit short. But Lake Taylor is going to be a force in Class 4. Oh, my. Whoever comes out of Region 4B, be it Monacan, be it Caroline, be it Louisa, um, Eastern View has some work to do. They, they, they just... they. They did not have the athletes to hang with a George with. If they can have grind-out opponents, they have a chance maybe to make some noise. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how a Monacan deals with a Lake Taylor if that came to pass or how Lake Taylor would deal with David Ware and Caroline. Caroline, I'm telling you, fans, if you haven't seen them live, they are freakishly fast and athletic. They run the transition about as fast as any team I've seen this year. I would put the transition game of Caroline up with Trinity Episcopal, even with their big men. Their transition's different, but a lot of that is over-the-top passing, um, somebody breaking as Wade or Coleman or maybe even Armando, uh, you know, breaking if they're outside. You know, let's say Baycott gets drawn outside like Nate Spurlock worked on him all night last night and trying to keep him away from just pounding the boards. And, you know, they miss a shot. And Coleman gets aboard, or, or or Wade gets aboard, or even Tink Boyd gets aboard, Burke Smith. And then immediately they're looking to pass it to midcourt because the rest of the team has taken off. And somebody out of the big three likely is already in the paint waiting. So a pass over the top, a pass down low, automatic two. And I think Trinity had eight dunks in the game on Saturday night. So... The Caroline's transition is a lot more uh, uh, run-based, athletic-based. It's not a throw-over-the-top, throw-over-the-top. It's run, run, and beat you because we're so fast you can't catch us. 
So, uh, Lake Taylor, Caroline, Lake Taylor, Monacan, I'd pay to see those games. I think they'd be very, very interesting. I really do, but, man, I came away, I think, as impressed with Lake Taylor and even W.T. Woodson in defeat. Those are the two out-of-town teams that impressed me the most. Green Run ran away from Highland Springs, but Highland Springs was without Pollard. They came off a 21-point loss to their arch rival the night before, and I think they were tired. Um, And I'm not trying to make excuses for the Springers, but I, I just think that was just a bad day. And so I can't say that I really got a great barometer of how good Green Run will be down the road in the postseason down at the coast. Uh, But they're a good team. I'm not trying to cut them in any way, shape, or form. I just think in terms of the performance I saw yesterday uh, from the out-of-town teams, Lake Taylor in their win and W.T. Woodson even in their defeat, both very impressive. So Bird drops to four with their loss to Lake Taylor, first loss of the year. John Marshall, what a weird ending to their win over Potomac. They uh, Let me set the scene for you if you weren't listening. Man, you should have been with us last night. We had three very interesting games. Final scores don't, uh, you know, you look like, oh, there's a blowout. Oh, there's a blowout. And if you just look at the box score, you have no idea how it all came to be. John Marshall Potomac was nuts. Isaiah Todd fouled out with seven minutes left. He'd scored 17 points, and at the time, the Justices were up 59-50. to Now, Potomac's big man, uh, Pullum, he had four personal fouls. So if he's able to stay away from that fifth foul and hang out a while, you're thinking, okay, you know, uh, somebody's going to have to really step up for John Marshall. It was 59-50. And then over the next minute and a half or so, John Marshall went on a 9 nothing run, Pullum fouled out of the game. DeMar McCray and LeVar Allen essentially put the team on their back in different portions of the fourth and final quarter and took care of business. And the final seven minutes of the game, John Marshall outscored Potomac, get this, 28-14. to 14. They doubled them with Todd on the bench. Roosevelt Wheeler. 6'9", freshman at John Marshall. My first chance to see him live last night. Got some skills. He's raw. He's got a good future. He picked up his first offer. Matt Hatfield reported late last night on his Twitter feed. Hampton University offered him after his performance in the win over Potomac. They won't be the last one to offer the young man. He has a very, very bright future. And I think he's got the perfect place to learn and grow because All the attention is on Isaiah Todd because he's the number one ranked recruit by ESPN in the class of 2020 in America. And when you see him play live, you understand why he is so highly coveted. He's got one of the sweetest strokes I've ever seen for a big man. His free throw shooting is fantastic. His technique is phenomenal. He could be a big man who could take it outside and hit the three-pointer go in and dominate inside, and then if he draws fouls, it's not like Hack-A-Shack. He's not going to go 48% from the line. Todd has the ability to shoot 75 80%, and possibly even more. That's how good and natural his shooting stance is. Really impressed. But more impressed by John Marshall's team performance with Todd on the bench. They go off and run away from Potomac. And they move up to number three in our latest poll. So they're up to three, Bird down to four, they switch places. Verina holds on to number two after a scare on Saturday. While we were all at Henrico, Verina had a little classic of their own, and they had Mills Godwin. And Mills Godwin is always tough, always scrappy, always disciplined, always trying to take you out of your game. 
and they were able to do it enough to cause a scare, but not quite enough to pull off the big upset. Verona survived at 46-42. Add that to the 71-50 win on Friday night over Highland Springs. Blue Devils continue to roll. They're still at two, and of course, Trinity Episcopal remains at number one. So this week, number two, Verina comes to Atley. They'll be favored. They beat Atley by 22 weeks ago. Part of our game of the week doubleheader on Tuesday night before hopefully the snow does not hit. So join us on our YouTube channel beginning at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. Verina at Atley, girls varsity first, and then the boys. Look forward to that. Um, and then later this week, Trinity Episcopal ranked one, hosting unbeaten number five collegiate. That game scheduled for Friday night. So the latest boys top ten, Titans are first, Blue Devils second, John Marshall up one to three, Bird down one to four, collegiate five into the top five for the first time, George with six, Hopewell seven, St. Chris eight, Caroline nine, Monacan ten. The Highland Springs drops out of the pole, but don't be surprised if they jump back in at some point before the regular season is over. A long way to go. Keeping our eye on Meadowbrook. Great win over Hopewell for the Monarchs. Keeping our eye on Douglas Freeman, who is surprising a lot of people. Will be interesting to see how they continue to work the Colonial District schedule and also really get a good barometer when they get to play a John Marshall uh, in Colonial District play. All right, so that's your top 10 polls, fans. They'll be, of course, online at rbasportsnetwork.com. Trying to think off the top of my head, anything major that I need to get off my chest or talk about? And the answer is no, uh, not really. Uh, I, I got I got that done at the outset, talking about uh, Viking Saints and time management. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're ever going to um, be in a situation to where you can take the lead with a field goal and the lead would be three or less, uh, if you have it within your grasp to find a way to either A, get your opponent to, to use all their timeouts, or B, run down as much clock as possible, especially if the opponent across the way has a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees, you do it. Because let's face it, by all, by all indications, in 99% of other situations, the Saints win that game. It takes the miracle on the final play of the game for the Vikings to move on to the NFC Championship. Next Sunday... Wow, what do you say? You know, obviously New England will be favored and probably favored big time. Uh, they will look to do, to, like I mentioned earlier, to Bortles what they did to Mariota. And if they're able to do that, it's going to be a long day for Jacksonville. But the Jacksonville defense, uh, and, and I got to agree with Tony Romo, I got home from Henrico Saturday night to see just the final few minutes of Tennessee, and they were talking about Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and who might make the more interesting matchup for New England. And Romo talked about how Jacksonville's defense could actually have the studs to deal with a Gronkowski on a regular basis. And I happen to think he's right. I think Jacksonville's defense versus New England's offense could be very interesting. That game may grind. It may be 20 to 17. It could be 17 to 14. Um, you know, so, and I think it will be a close game. I'll be surprised if it is a blowout, but if it's a blowout, you know, I go back a few years ago and think about people thought, well, Andrew Luck and the Colts, they finally got their shot here. And then I know it ended up being deflate gate, but uh, you know, the Patriots just completely snuffed out the Colts before they were able really to take the field that day. They were so dominant, so dominant in that game a few years ago. And now the Colts, Looking for a new head coach. You know, is Luck's shoulder going to be ever 100%? There's a lot of uncertainty there uh, in 
in Indianapolis. One move I see that I noticed on television tonight uh, that I think is going to be a great move, and that is Detroit looking to bring Matt Patricia over, the de- uh, defensive coordinator from the Patriots, to the, to the Lions for their head coaching position. I think he's going to make a very good head coach. Um, so I think he'll be quiet like Belichick. He'll be um, systematical like Belichick, and he probably will plan as much, if not more, if that's possible, uh, than a Bill Belichick. Interestingly enough, the last time, and it has ha- happened before, Jacksonville and New England have played for the AFC Championship one time before. It was the second year of Jacksonville's existence. It was the end of the 96th season. And they played New England in New England at the old Foxborough Stadium. The head coach of Jacksonville that day, Tom Coughlin, who's now in the front office with the Jaguars. And the head coach for New England that day, Bill Parcells. Uh, His disciple, of course, as you should know, is Bill Belichick. Philadelphia, Minnesota, interestingly enough, in the long history of the NFC Championship game, which now dates back to 1970, they have never met for the NFC title, but they will in Philadelphia next Sunday night. I think big advantage for Philly to be home. If it were the other way around, Philly going to Minnesota, I'd feel really good about Minnesota's chances of winning. Um, But outdoors on what will probably be a chilly evening, don't know, haven't seen the long-range forecast to see if there's any weather going to be involved next Sunday night. Um, And Philadelphia's defense, you saw them make Matt Ryan and Julio Jones mortal on Saturday, maybe if uh, we didn't because we were at Virginia preps. But, um, you know, they did that, held the Falcons to 10 points, eliminated the defending NFC champions. And so Vikings have got their work cut out for them. They have got to have a great day on offense. And I think Kyle Rudolph is going to have to have a very good game at tight end, both uh, receiving uh, third down conversions and also blocking helping to get Murray and McKinnon, et cetera, you know, up and running. Just to think about it, you know, the Vikings, they they won their opener against the Saints with Sam Bradford, and then Bradford gets hurt. We haven't seen him since. A couple of weeks later, Dalvin Cook looks like he's going to have a monster rookie season, the rookie out of Florida State. Hurts his knee, he's done. And fans in Minnesota probably were thinking, what do we have to do to catch a break? Never dreaming of what would happen on January 14th. 2018 in the divisional round so looking forward to the championships coming up next sunday and super bowl 52 also looking forward to another week of high school sports action and college as well and we've told you mostly about where we're going to be patrick henry's got a, a matinee on monday the boys at home against king george in a region 4b matchup and we'll be there with live coverage on twitter at hanover sports at 1 p.m Patrick Henry's girls traveling to King George, and I believe that game is at 2.30 on Monday. Very little action on Monday. We get back to school on Tuesday. Lots of action on Tuesday night. Our game of the week, doubleheader, Verina at Atlee, 6 o'clock Eastern, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash RVA Sports Network. Embeddable player always at the top of the page at rvasportsnetwork.com. Wednesday, weather permitting, we go to Fairfax in the morning for A-10 women's basketball. George Mason and Richmond will get a chance to see Cam Gatling, who's having a great freshman year for Coach Nyla Millison and the George Mason Patriots. And then get back in time to head over to Ashland for big action uh, at Crenshaw's on Wednesday night, Randolph-Macon, Hamden, Sydney. Not sure about our Thursday plans yet. Friday night, it's rivalry night again uh, across the northern part of the James River area, and we will be at Atlee High School 
where Lee Davis will come in, Battle of Eastern Hanover, girls at 6, boys at 7.30. And the reason why we've picked this game is because at halftime of the boys' game, the 2017 5A state softball champions get their rings. It is hardware passing out time in Raider Nation, and we'll be there for that on Friday night. Next Saturday, a whole ton of stuff going on, and we haven't decided on where we're going to be there yet as well. Next Sunday, our A-10 women's basketball coverage on Twitter continues as we'll be live back at the Robin Center for Fordham and Richmond, and that'll be at 2 o'clock. All right, fans, hey, if you have any suggestions, things you would like to hear or discuss or whatnot here on our podcast, Central Region Now Podcast, send us a tweet at any of our Twitter uh, handles, whatever you may follow, at the RVA Sportsnet, at Hanover Sports, at Henrico Sports, at Chesterfield Sports. Love to get your input. Love to have your questions. Be more than happy to answer them for you, whether it be about sports in general or something going on specifically or in the area or nationally uh, or about the podcast or about people maybe you'd like for us to have on the podcast. We'd like to try to expand, and it's all about schedules. But we would like at some point to to add more interviews on our podcast, more guests on our podcast, uh, to bring in different voices and to be able to tackle some newer and different subjects as well. So um, if you have any suggestions or whatnot, feel free to let us know. Send us a DM. Send us a tweet. We would love to hear from you. All righty. Central Region Now, an exclusive podcast presentation of the RVA Sportsnet and solely intended for the private, non-commercial use of our audience. Any rebroadcast or other use without the express written consent of HCS Media LLC is prohibited. Again, a big thanks to Matt Hatfield, Virginia Preps, everybody there, Rob Welch and Henrico. What a great Saturday over there at the Virginia Preps Classic. Session 2 for the Classic is... uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 27th, down in Tidewater. You should go to virginiapreps.com so you can check out the listing of the six games they'll have down there in 13 days as we record. All right, I am going to go rest up and get ready for a very, very busy week, which now includes the, uh, the delivery of a new refrigerator freezer. Mine died last night. Oh, boy. At least the cool stuff I can just put on the porch tonight because it's going to be, what, 19 degrees? Uh All right, fans, we'll see you on the sideline. Have a great week.